All right. So first things first, if you're wondering if it's fall or not, just look around and see the flannels. The flannels are out, everybody. Flannels are out. And uh, they're out in force today. You'll see the whole, like, I think every guy up here is wearing a flannel. For the worship team, too. It's nuts. I was actually pretty excited to break out my flannel this morning. So a little confession moment. Um, Secondly, did anybody else have a little, like, indigestion last night after eating all those, like, variety of soup? Yeah. I think it's just the sheer variety. There's so many different types of soup that I consumed last night. All delicious. And uh, I kind of want to start this and see if it catches on. But whoever won last night, I want to just everybody start calling them the golden ladle. Like everybody knows what that means. That's hilarious. Quick story. I remember... Uh, when, when I had first, this is early on, when I had first like started talking to uh, Tia Alexander, and I was having a conversation with her, and we put two and two together that she knows my Aunt Mary, because she taught with her. And we were having this conversation, she's like, oh, like, you're, uh, Mary's your aunt? He's like, she's like, she's a golden apple. And the conversation kept going on, and I didn't want to say anything, because I'm like, she said it like I should know what that means. And I have no idea what that means, so I don't want to ask her, but <laughs> should I know what this means? So I want to do that with the golden ladle. So whoever won, we can, and my wife Savannah won, so she's a golden ladle, everybody. <laughs> uh, sorry to embarrass you, babe. <laughs> All right, let's see if it catches on. It's going to catch on. It won't, but it sounds fun. Okay. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon for today. Lord, God, we just praise you. We glorify your name. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, for your goodness, for your favor, for your grace and mercy that you give us each and every day. Lord, that is new every day and that we need every day. So, Lord, I pray as over our time together as we open your word that you would bring clarity. Lord, that your spirit would stir in us to reveal your truth to us, Lord, and that our lives would look more like Christ, following his way more and more each day. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay. Our campaign is called The Third Way, and the conference week is coming up, as Jamie said a moment ago. Um, But today we're going to continue on in our Third Way campaign. So the idea here is how our culture is being super polarized and increasingly more and more polarized. And for us as Christians, as we engage in this culture and live in the culture that is increasingly more polarized, the question is, how do we represent the way of Jesus within it? So what we're doing throughout this campaign is just talking about how the way of Jesus is a different way that we can follow. And in it, we will differentiate ourselves from the culture in many ways. In some ways, we will still find uh, commonality, and we are free to accept it then, But where it diverges from the way of Jesus, we must follow the way of Jesus as his followers and his disciples. Our big idea is very simple uh, through the whole campaigns. For Christians, our way of life and thinking must first be informed by Jesus. So our way of life, the way that we live, the way that we think, and what is true, what we practice, what we do with our time and our energy and our effort, it must first be informed by Jesus. And what Jesus says trumps all other ideologies in our culture in that. So what we've talked about in this campaign is, first of all, I just wanted to like kind of 
promote the way of Jesus as being the better way, the best way to be human, the best way to live. Then uh, a few weeks back, we talked about how winning and losing isn't the goal for Christians. We shouldn't be focused on whether we win or whether we lose. Instead, our priority and our focus is obedience, obedience to the will of God. And then we talked about our general posture towards the culture, which should be one of a faithful presence within the culture, not defensive against, uh, not isolated from, and uh, what was the third one? Uh, I'm blanking. Defensive against, isolated from, and, and uh, relevant to. There it is. Yep. Okay. Last week, we talked about how Jesus reminds us all of the deeper spiritual truths when he's in a very contentious, polarized scenario where they present to, or they come to him with a question and say, should we pay our taxes or not? Which is a very political, polarizing question. And Jesus answers the question, but he, he calls them to the greater spiritual truth that all people are created in the image of God. This week, I want to focus on one of the causes and the results, so it's both a cause and a result, of polarization in our culture, and that is anxiety. Anxiety. Now, from my understanding, and my understanding is not one of a mental health professional, okay, so hear me (laughs) clearly when I say that. I very strongly believe in what mental health professionals do, so don't hear me saying that I don't think that you need to seek a medical or a mental health professional in any way, shape, or form. I think that's very valuable, okay? There are many different facets to anxiety, as there are different aspects of being human. There's the physical, there is the mental, there's emotional, but there's also a spiritual aspect to it. So what I'm going to focus on here today is the spiritual aspect to it and general anxiety, okay? But one thing that I would caution us all against is using, is using that kind of framework and mentality as an excuse for our anxiety and not to trust in God. I see that happening often as well, is folks just kind of use that, oh, this is a different thing. And so when really we're also not trusting in God, we'll, we'll come to that a little bit later, but there are different facets to it. And I am just focusing on the spiritual aspect and general anxiety. Okay. Strongly believe in counseling and what mental health professionals do. I've seen a counselor, mental health professional, they help me tremendously with my anxiety. So strongly encourage that as well. So from my understanding, Anxiety, it comes from, it's a natural response to stress, okay? which stress happens around <laughs> to us all the time. We experience stress. Every human being will experience stress in some way, shape, or form. And when we encounter that stressor, the natural response is what we call the fight or flight kind of response, emotional response within us, where you, you, you just like heightened awareness, uh, your blood pressure increases, your attention is a little bit more focused, uh, and it's a natural response to a threat or to stress. However, our bodies are not meant to live in that state permanently, as many of us do. Stress from work, from our home life, from relationships, from social media, global events, even our entertainment options that we think are restful cause us stress. I was thinking about this this week. If you watch a football game today and it's kind of close coming down the stretch and your team is is close to winning or losing, it's creating a stressed response in you. And we enjoy it. If you watch a romantic comedy and there's a lot of drama around, ooh, who's she going to pick, right? 
it's creating a stress response within you. And we enjoy this. And this is what we look to for rest. That's why when we sit down and we watch a game or, and we see ads that cause us stress or when the outcome is uncertain and we're all nervous about it or we watch a movie that's stressful, we, we finish that form of rest and entertainment, but we don't feel rested, right? We feel more anxious. We feel more worried than even before. And yet, that's what we turn to for rest. And also, we live in this polarized culture where there are those who benefit from the polarization that we experience, and so they often prey on our anxieties and our fears and our worries in order to draw us to one pole or the other even more. There's obviously the spiritual component in it where our sinful nature is desiring to be anxious and where the devil is drawing us into our anxiety. So we all experience anxiety, question is, how do we respond to it? And what do we do when we encounter it? Anxiety, even low-grade anxiety, what it does is it causes this erosion beneath the surface of our inner life. Gordon MacDonald wrote this in his book called Ordering Your Inner World. And as I, as I was studying this week, I came across it. And it just speaks, I think, so powerfully. And it's a powerful illustration of, I think, what many of us are feeling and experiencing. He compares it to a sinkhole, like a Florida sinkhole, and here he describes it a little bit. Sinkholes occur, scientists say, when underground streams drain away during seasons of drought, causing the ground at the surface to lose its underlying support. Suddenly, everything simply caves in, leaving people with a frightening suspicion that nothing, not even the earth beneath their feet, is trustworthy. There are many people whose lives are like one of Florida's sinkholes. It is likely that at one time or another, many of us have perceived ourselves to be on the verge of a sinkhole-like cave-in. In the feelings of numbing fatigue, a taste of apparent failure, or the bitter experience of disillusionment about goals or purposes, we may have sensed something within us about to give way. We feel we are just a moment from a collapse that will threaten to sweep our entire world into a bottomless pit. Sometimes there seems to be little that can be done to prevent such a collapse. What is wrong? Perhaps you felt like this before. I have. Perhaps you're feeling like this now. Now, to be clear, my point is not to give you anxiety about your anxiety, okay? (laughs) Or the state of anxiety in our world. That would be an ironic twist and a huge failure on my part. But what I want to do is get you exploring it and thinking about it. Because Jesus speaks into this and how we can be a calm presence in an anxious world. In Monday's devotional, I'm not going to go through it today, but in Monday's devotional, I have put, included a series of just checkups or like questions from John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, to just kind of rate yourself. See how, how anxious, how hurried is my soul. So I'd encourage you to check that out tomorrow. The big idea for today is the way of Jesus is the way of a calm presence within this divided, anxious culture. So I read this. I read that quote from uh, Gordon McDonald a moment ago. And then I picked up another book on my shelf called The Good, Beautiful, and Kind by Rich Velotis. And this was the tagline on the back of it. This was their marketing line on the back. And it was this verbiage. Calm presence within a divided, anxious culture. 
So many of us feel the anxiety and the tension and the stress of living in a divided culture. And the way of Jesus is one of a calm presence within it. So how do we do that? Well, Jesus spoke to us. In Matthew 6, 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Now, I've highlighted it for you, but astute readers of Scripture, when you find a therefore, what's your, what, what should you do? Find out what it's there for. Yes. All right. You find out what it's there for. See, this is what seminary does to you. It ruins all your jokes. You just become super boring and lame. So, because you think that's cool. Okay. So, we want to find out what it's there for. So, we want to rewind and look just prior to it. All right, and see what Jesus is talking about. Because before he dives into this teaching on not to worry and don't be anxious, he says something that kind of lays the groundwork for it a few verses prior in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. If our treasure is here on earth, we have a lot to be anxious about. We have a lot to stress over and to worry about, right? Decay sets in. Entropy, it's a law of nature, right? Decay will set in. It will get destroyed. If things break down and you have to fix them and maintain them, you have to constantly be working in order to maintain the things that we possess in this world. Not to mention it could be stolen or it could be lost at any moment, right? So that's a lot to worry about. It's a lot of stress and anxiety that weighs on us. And in our materialistic culture, this jumps right off the page. Even when I think about my day yesterday, how much I was frustrated and worried about the, the things that I didn't accomplish in the time that I had to do some housework makes me anxious. When I think about my car that is broken down and a bunch of lights just started flashing on the dashboard, it makes me anxious because now i got to fix this thing. But Jesus' words here jump right off the page to us. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a proverbial statement that rings so true. If your treasure is in your stuff, your heart, your deepest longing, your will, your deepest desire is there. And if that is the case, then you will have cause for anxiety and worry. It's something to remember, memorize, write down, remind yourself of regularly. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Is it in earthly things? Or is it in the heavenly things of the kingdom of God? Then Jesus goes on and he talks about this little analogy of the eye. The eye is the lamp of the body, he says. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So if, our, if the way we view our possessions is in line with kingdom values... then our whole body will be full of light, Jesus says. So if our treasure is in heaven, if the way that we view our stuff is appropriately in line with eternity and the true value 
of it as, as compared to the heavenly things, then our whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What Jesus is saying here is our, an improper view of money or our stuff and our wealth will corrupt your entire inner life. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness, he says. The way that we view our possessions and our wealth can either corrupt our entire inner life or it can bring light to it. It's vitally important. Jesus isn't joking here, guys. This gives us great cause to examine how we view our wealth and how we view our stuff. Is, are your eyes full of greed and envy or are you putting your treasure truly in heavenly things? Because the former will lead to great stress and anxiety follows stress. This gives us cause to reflect on our heart and even the things that we tell ourselves, right? We often tell ourselves, I just want to get more so that I can give more. Is that, that's noble if it's true. But is it true? <laughs> because your heart is deceitfully wicked. And we can deceive ourselves. So continue to reflect on that constantly. Is this truly the condition of my heart? Or am I just using this as an excuse to hoard wealth? And are my eyes darkened and it will darken my entire inner life? Jesus isn't joking here, guys. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus, again, Jesus uses strong language for a reason because he knows our human inclinations towards wealth and towards prosperity and stuff. And he knows the effect that that has on your soul. It can darken your entire inner life, he says. So this isn't just Jesus making some nice suggestions. Okay, this is the way of Jesus. To view our stuff and our wealth and our prosperity through a kingdom mindset. To seek first the kingdom, as he's going to say in just a moment here. Okay, so that's the therefore, what's prior to it. You're like, man, that's, <laughs> that's not fun. He's going to get into it more, okay? So this is our, our framework and our lens for how we view our wealth and our stuff and prosperity. Then, therefore, do not worry about your life. So that framework has to come prior. We have to have that view. What you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. But I just want to pause quickly. Like, hear, hear Jesus' tone here as well. Jesus isn't talking like a, a salesman trying to sell you something that you don't need. Jesus isn't talking like somebody who's, who's just trying to promote his way to get more people to follow him and then build his brand. Jesus is talking as someone who genuinely cares for your soul and wants what's best for you. But because our heart is so prone to wander, we so easily move away and gravitate away from the way of Jesus towards idolizing our stuff and our wealth. But the abundant life that Christ has for us is in the words of Jesus here, to be a calm, non-anxious presence in a worried, chaotic world. 
He's lovingly calling us to live our best life now. <laughs> to flip Joel Osteen's phrase from the prosperity gospel. Because your best life now is this proper view of your wealth and prosperity, not the way the prosperity gospel preachers teach it. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Again, hear the words of Jesus. He's calling us to remember who God is and to remember who we are, that we are the crowning achievement of God's creation. And if the birds, they don't worry and get anxious about this stuff, are we not much more valuable than they are to God? Will God not care for us and care for our needs? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Hypothetical question, but the answer is no. And why do you worry about clothes? <laughs> it's funny, as I just made a joke about my flannels and how excited I was. <laughs> See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So here Jesus links it back to faith. So again, this isn't like a prosperity gospel thing. There's a direct correlation between our anxiety and our worry and our fear and our trust in God. I don't think I need a lot of examples for you to see that connection. If we trust in God, we can be less stressed. We can surrender to his will. We don't have to worry and fear and grow anxious over our stuff. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So in the ancient world, they were never fully sure if they had done enough to appease the gods. They were never sure if they were on the gods' good side or bad side. So if bad things start happening, their assumption is, oh, we didn't do enough to make them like us, to appease them and to make them happy. That's not Yahweh. That's not our God. That framework is foreign to the Christian teaching. Your heavenly Father, Jesus says, knows that you need them. A few verses earlier when Jesus is teaching us to pray, he says the same thing. He says you don't have to babble on and on because God already knows what you need. Because God is your loving heavenly Father. And for some of you today, like, this, is, this is the main takeaway that you need to grasp is God as your loving heavenly Father. Not God as some angry, vindictive, vengeful deity who just wants to smite you if you don't obey him properly. That's not our God. That's not the one true God. God is your loving Heavenly Father who already knows what you need. And so we shouldn't fear to come to him or fear to trust him. Band, you guys can come and get set up. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So this is the antidote. It's not enough to just say, don't be anxious. Don't be worried. That's not enough. No, we have to direct our attention elsewhere. So instead of focusing our attention on our worries and our anxieties and our fears and our stress, we direct our attention to the kingdom and to God. We seek first. It's a matter of priority. 
and focus. What is your priority and what is your focus? Is it on God and the kingdom or is it on your stuff? Is your eye healthy? Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Is your heart and your deepest longing in the things of this earth and what your money and your wealth can buy or is it in the things of the kingdom of God and in heavenly things? Ultimately, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness leads us to Jesus, right? Because Jesus brings the kingdom of God and he will complete the kingdom of God upon his return. And Jesus is our righteousness. Our righteousness is in him and in our faith and trust in him, not in and of ourselves and our own good deeds. And so when we seek first the kingdom, we come to Jesus. Jesus, remember, says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We're following the words of Jesus, we come to him, and we find him. And in doing so, we find rest for our souls. And our attention and our focus is drawn to him. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So again, our big idea, to be a calm presence in a divided, anxious world, we focus on God as our treasure. And we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when we do so, we come to Jesus and we find him. Lord, God, in this divided, anxious world that we live in, would your spirit stir in us to focus our attention and our priority on you, God. You are our treasure. You're not the means to another treasure. You're our treasure. We long for you the most. Lord, we want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And Lord, that means Jesus. We seek Jesus first. We want to follow Jesus first. And Lord, we thank you for your promise that when we come to you, when we are weary and burdened, and we will find rest for our souls. Jesus, you are so good. And we trust that your way is the way to abundant life. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Let's stand, and we're going to sing a few songs together. If you guys need prayer, Michael's in the back. He'd love to pray with you. Lord, we thank you for your presence that you give us in the Holy Spirit. Lord, because of the Spirit at work within us, because, God, you dwell within us, we can live a life of calm presence. Even when our exterior environment is chaotic and we have stress coming at us from every angle, because of you, God, because of you, we can have peace. We can be a non-anxious, calm presence in a divided, anxious world. So thank you, Jesus, that when we come to you, you give us rest. We can cast our burdens upon you. And you give us rest for our soul. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat for a few moments here.
big idea again is to be a calm presence in a divided, anxious world. We need to focus on God as our treasure. God must be our treasure. Heavenly things, kingdom things, God himself must be where our heart lies. He must be the one that we truly desire and long for. As we spoke about last week, if God is a means in our worldly possessions and end, God is not God in your life. And we must seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when we seek first his kingdom, it's a matter of focus and priority. What do we focus on? Is it the kingdom of God? Is it how our stuff can be utilized for the kingdom God to bring good into the kingdom? Are we focusing our attention on that? Is that our priority then? Or is it for our own selfish gains and purposes, our own luxury, or our own comforts and prosperity? So the question is, where are your eyes and your hearts set on? What is your priority? Is it on God and his kingdom, or is it on the stuff of this earth? Questions then become in business, for example. How can we use our business or our, our efforts at work? How can we use those to promote kingdom values? Work in and of itself is good, and it builds culture, and it does good. We're fulfilling the creation mandate, but how can we add more value and meaning to it by adding kingdom values to our work? Things like your vacation. Going talking about some of the stuff that money can buy, right? Things of your vacations that we desire. We desire rest. We need rest. How can we use our vacation time to withdraw, to reconnect with God? to deepen our intimacy with him, to know him more, to find peace, to find rest for us, and then return spiritually refreshed in order to invest more in the kingdom that God has called us to in our sphere of influence. Your home. How can your home be a place of peace and rest? And how can you be raising your children or loving one another and others within your home in order to point them to kingdom values? How can you be hospitable? How can you invite others into your home and your place of rest to bring kingdom values into there? Now, I know I told you last week that I wouldn't take aim at politics anymore, but uh, as I thought about this more and more, I saw, <laughs> saw just how our polarized political culture affects this as well. So often... We vote the way we do and we worry so much about politics and elections because we're anxious about our wealth and our prosperity, if we're honest with ourselves. We're anxious about inflation leaving me with less expendable income, right? We're anxious about immigrants taking our jobs. We're anxious about higher taxes leaving less in our bank accounts. Now we can have our political persuasions on those and those are fine. The problem is, what are, we, what are we filtering our ideas through? Again, is it the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Is it God himself? Do we desire God himself first and foremost? Is he our primary focus and priority? Or is it something else? If we aren't focusing on God as our treasure, we're focusing on our stuff. There is cause for anxiety and worry, especially when election season rolls around. But if God is our focus, if he is our treasure, if we are seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness with our vote, 
We can be a non-anxious presence even in a polarized, angry, chaotic political climate that we live in right now. But if your focus is on just the politics of it, or your focus is on your wealth and your prosperity, you won't be. You'll be just as disturbed in your inner life as everybody else. And that's not the life that Jesus calls us to. So, 1 Peter 5, 7, this is such a beautiful, simple, little verse that I'd invite you to memorize and repeat to yourself often. 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter tells us, cast your anxiety on him, that's God, because he cares for you. It's so simple that God invites us to cast our anxieties on him. It's another form of exchange where we get to cast our anxieties upon God and he promises to give us peace. It's a good deal for us. Let's put it that way. It's a good deal for us. That we have the ability, the opportunity, the invitation from God, the creator of the universe, to cast our anxieties upon him. And he cares. It's a promise. And so as I thought about how to apply this text, I think the best thing to do is for us to just sit and cast our anxieties on him. So I invite you now to just close your eyes and just reflect on what are you worried about right now? What are the things that cause your blood pressure to rise? What are the stressors that you're thinking about when you get home later? What are the tensions, the relational tensions that you're wrestling with right now? What's causing you anxiety? What's keeping you up at night? Just invite you to cast them on God. To say, God, I'm not strong enough to carry this. I'm not equipped. I'm not called. I'm not enough to carry this. So, Lord, I'm going to cast this anxiety on you. We're going to surrender it to you. And your will be done. I'm going to obey. I'm going to do what you've called me to in obedience and faithfulness. But the outcomes, the results, the things that I'm worried about, I'm surrendering those to you, Lord. Next, I want you to just direct your attention to the kingdom of God, to the values in the kingdom of God, to your inner life, what God is producing within you. 
direct your attention to God himself, who he is, his power, his splendor, his majesty. It's not enough for us to just say, don't be anxious. We must direct our attention elsewhere. So God and his kingdom now is our focus and our priority. take communion together now and at the heart of Jesus teaching and do not be anxious do not worry is the character of God who God is at the heart of Peter's imperative to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us is is who God is that God cares for you as I said earlier God is not some angry deity who needs us to do everything right, who's just waiting for us to give him more and more and more in order to please him and then he'll bless us. That is not the picture of God. That is the picture of the gods of the ancient world. That is not our God. Our God bestows his favor on you. Our God saves you. Our God has adopted you into his family if you are in Christ not due to anything that you have done or didn't do. He just chose to give you his grace and his favor. That's our God. And so if you're wondering if God really cares for you, look no further than the cross, than where Jesus sacrificed everything for you. Not because you deserved it, but because he is gracious and merciful and kind and loving because he cares for you so much. And so... We can trust that this promise is true, that we can cast our anxieties on him, that he invites us to, and he loves you and he cares for you and he has died for you. He has taken our sin and given us his righteousness. He is a good, loving, heavenly father who knows already what you're anxious about and he has given you his grace and his favor and adopted you into his family. And so we can come to him as our loving father. The elements are set up in the back. I'll head back there first. Front rows, follow me back. And as the row in front of you finishes, follow them back to grab the elements and then hold on to them. And we'll pray and partake of them together. You guys pray with me first for the bread. Lord Jesus, we thank you for bearing our sin in your flesh that although you were perfectly holy, that you became sin for us. You took the penalty that we deserved upon yourself, that we might be free, that we might stand holy and justified before God, so that we 
Don't have to fear to come into your presence. But Lord, we can approach you justified and cast our cares upon you. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice as we partake. Let's partake of the bread. Would you pray with me for the cup as well? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us. That, Lord, we stand before you justified, holy. Not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness that you have freely given us in Christ. So, Jesus, we are so thankful. Our heart responds with gratitude, with praise and worship for what you have done in saving us and redeeming us, bringing us to God, that our soul can find rest in you, knowing that our greatest need is cared for, that we have been made right with God and our eternity is secure with you. So we thank you, Jesus as we partake. Let's partake of the cup together. Don't you guys stand and sing with us a little bit more. Let's give praise and glory to our Savior. And also, if you need prayer, anything that you've been anxious about, please pray with Michael in the back.